Well, we're starting a new series today. You can get excited about that. Yeah. Would you look at somebody and say simple? Okay. Now look at somebody else and say it like you mean it. Simple. <laughs> today we're starting a new series uh, called Simple. And, uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited about this series. And we're going we're gonna to be drawing some, uh, some nuggets from uh, the the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians of the book of Colossians. And I want to encourage you as we go through this, uh, this series uh, for the next six weeks, I encourage you to read the book of Colossians before you come. Read it every single week for the next six weeks. I believe that God has some life-changing truth in his word for us and for you. So dig in if you want to come prepared, if you're one of those uh, people that like to come in uh, equipped uh, and prepared, read the book of Colossians for the next six weeks. It, it'll take you about 10 minutes. It's four chapters in the New Testament. But we're going to read the first 14 verses today. So would you stand with me? And let's, uh, let's dig into what God has for us today. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active, Father. And I pray, Lord, that your word would saturate our hearts today, God. I pray, Lord, that my words would fall to the ground, but the words that would change us for eternity would stick and truly change us, God. I thank you that we can stand on your word. It's truth that it is infallible. And Lord, as we, as we move forward in this, Father God, I pray that we would draw simple truths that you have for us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. <clears throat> Well, we are starting uh, our new series called, called Simple, 
And, uh, and it just really boggles my mind as I've been thinking about the word simple and I've been digging in a little bit how complex we really make things. How many of you all have a friend or a spouse that tends to make the simplest things complex? Raise your hand. We'll just call them friends because I don't want to get spouses in trouble, right? Okay, so, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems to be so simple. Have you ever been in a frustrating moment when you're like, this is so simple, right? It's so simple. Um, well, as we, as we travel through this, uh, through this series, we're going to bring up some things that I believe that God looks at us sometimes and says, this is so simple, Jump on board with me. Come on, it is so simple. But we make things in life so complex. But one of the things that I want to sow into our foundation so that we don't have a misconception of what I'm trying to convey or what we're trying to convey over the next few weeks is that simple doesn't always mean easy. Simple does not always mean easy. How do, we know, how do we know this? We have been working so hard uh, since, the, since the beginning uh, of, our, of, of really starting to walk on the planet. We worked so hard to make things simplistic. Uh, when we were in grade school, you were asked to take two-fourths and make it simple to one-half. If you have two-fourths of a pizza, that's one-half of a pizza, right? You were asked to simplify uh, a fraction. Now, for me, uh, with math, it's simple, but it ain't easy, right? Okay. What about, I want to be healthy. The simple truth is stop eating junk food. Well, that's simple, but it's not always easy, right? You see the golden arches and you start to veer toward them, right? Okay. What about keeping up with laundry? It's simple, but it ain't always easy, right? What about keeping plants alive? It's simple, but, but it's not always easy. And for others of us, what about keeping humans alive? <laughs> you know, it's, it, it should be in theory simple, right? But, but it's, not always, it's not always easy. God wants us to do things that are simple, but are not always easy. These are just some of them. God wants you to be kind. He wants you to be faithful and he wants you to love others. These are simple. It does not take rocket science or a degree in theology for us to understand how to do these things. Yet they are simple, but not always easy. What would our lives look like if we just did these three things? What do you think our lives would look like if we would just do these? I'll make it easier for you. What would our lives look like if we just did the first thing? God wants you to be kind. I have met some of the meanest Christians in my life. Have you ever met a mean Christian? A sour Christian? Yeah, God wants us to be kind. What, what would our lives look like if we walked around and we were actually kind to one another? So simple. So simple. Life-changing simplicity. Simple doesn't always mean easy. When I was in high school, I remember getting my, uh, my first car. It was a 96 red Chevy Cavalier. I was excited about it. I was excited to get it. It was one of my, on my, on my birthday. Um, it, was, uh, it was one of those things where it was like the birthday present where the parents signed the note, but I'm gonna pay for it, right? They didn't pay for it. I was paying for it, but it was happy birthday. 
you can pay for this car, okay? So, uh, so I was excited though, nonetheless. And, and I don't know what's wrong with teenagers these days, but it seems like teens are not eager to drive. Were you guys anything like me? When I was, I was trying to drive when I was 13, 14, 15, I was knocking on the door trying to, trying to drive. And so my parents allowed me to get, this, uh, to, to get this car. It was my birthday gift. And I was so excited about it. And I was one of the students in school, all the years of my life in school, I always was at that end of the year award ceremony, getting that certificate that said perfect attendance. Every single year through, through grade school, middle school, high school, always getting that certificate that said perfect attendance. That was until I got a car. That was until I got a car. All of a sudden school would start at eight o'clock and I would see myself rolling in at 801, 8.10, 8.20. Pretty soon I was just skipping first period altogether. And I had this thing in high school where if you were tardy three times, it equaled one absence. And so I had accrued eight absences. I had accrued eight absences. And upon the ninth absence, you fail the course and you don't graduate. So I had accrued eight absences and I knew I was in trouble. And so I said, I've got to fix this. I've got an idea. So I took me and my undeveloped brain up to uh, Ms. McCullough's office, my guidance counselor. And I sat across from her and I said, Ms. McCullough, we've got a problem. Now, it's interesting to me that when I mess up, the use of my pronoun changes, right? I've got an issue, but we've got a problem. And so I sat down uh, in front of Ms. McCullough. I said, Ms. McCullough, we've got a problem. I've accrued eight absences in my first period class. And if I get another absence, I'm not going to graduate. So what I need you to do is I need you to take my schedule and I need you to change my schedule to all different classes, change, redo my schedule so that my first period class falls at another time during the day so that I have an open opportunity to not have to worry about not graduating. It was the only option that was in my mind. Miss McCullough looked at me like I had lost my mind, which she should have. And she said, Kevin, I'm not changing anything. You need to get your act together and get to school on time. And it was like a ton of bricks hit my face. That was not even anything I had considered doing. It wasn't even something, it was an epiphany that I could be. And here's the thing. It was a simple solution, but for me, it was no longer easy. And it wasn't that it wasn't easy. It wasn't that it wasn't easy because I couldn't do it. Listen, I've been perfect attendance for 11 years, right? It wasn't easy because I was given a newfound freedom. You see, what I did is I walked into Ms. McCullough's office with the intention of manipulating my environment to condone my behavior. And so often what we do is we look for ways to condone the things that we want to continue to do, as opposed to listening and changing based on the truth that's coming at us. And so what happened was, is I was given a newfound freedom by being gifted this car, this, this newfound freedom. And guys, sometimes we get freedom and we just dance around like it is the most wonderful, awesome, amazing things. And there are some ways that it is amazing, but let me tell you something. A lot of times we take freedom and we use it as a platform to engage in our sinful nature. And so what we do is we, we, we tap into that, we tap into to, uh, to the sinful, sinful nature uh, as we are given more control. When I got the keys to that, 
that car, I became more in control of my life. And what happens is the more control you're given, the more complex things become. The more control you take, the more complex your life becomes. John 8, Jesus talks and he says, those who have sinned are a slave to sin, but they don't have to stay there because who the son sets free is free indeed. Is free indeed. But the freedom that he's talking about isn't a freedom that says you can just do whatever you want. No, his freedom is, the freedom he's talking about is likened to what we find in the book of Psalms chapter 16, 6 that says the boundary lines of my life have fallen in pleasant places. Do you know that the boundaries of your life are to protect you so that you can have abundant life in Christ Jesus? The reason that you have boundaries in your life isn't to rob you from experiences, it's to protect you from death. It's to protect you from destruction. But we don't like that because we like to be in control. It's just like the garden. It's just Jesus, uh, God, God says to Adam and Eve, you can do all of these things, but don't do this. What's the first thing that they seems like they want to do? go right over there. What is this that you told me I can't do? I'm curious. And so we have these, these boundary lines in our life and we go and we stick our toe right on the boundary line. Ooh, this feels good, right? So we, the toe's not enough because it's like an empty black hole. So now we stick our whole foot on the other side. Ooh, that, that, woo, I like it. I like it. Now all of a sudden we start walking over here. We're like, I can, I can kind of get along with this. You know, sin feels good for a season. Sin looks good for a season. Sin tastes good for a season. And then all of a sudden, we wake up in the middle of our sin and we realize the picture that our sin has painted for us and all the people that we've taken down with us. And so what happens is we get so engrossed in our sin and we're over here on the other side of the boundary. And what so many of us do, if we're not careful, is we say, you know what? I'm not really able. I don't feel able or capable or equipped to change. So let me just go ahead and go over here and grab my theology and I'll bring it on this side of the boundary line. And if I can just shape my theology, if I can just kind of, if I can kind of just mend my theology to match my behavior, then everything will be great. And so all of a sudden, our theology isn't about God, it's about us. And so we get further and further out on the outskirts of these boundary lines. And all of a sudden, the theology that we have does not line up at all with the truth. Such was the case, could be the case with the Colossians. Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians. And we read in, in Colossians, we learn about this man named Epaphras. And Epaphras sat under Paul's ministry. He was ministering to the, in Ephesus for three years. And Epaphras sits under his, his ministry and receives and responds to the gospel. And then he goes to his hometown of Colossae and he goes there and he plants a church. And as we read the scripture, we can find that the people of Colossae were really faithful to the good news, to the message of the cross. And so Paul writes this, this, uh, this letter, theology is what you believe about God, right? Theology is what you believe about God. And so fr from, from prison, Paul heard that the Christian Coloss Colossians, who at one time had been strong in their faith, were now vulnerable to the deception about faith. Paul wrote this letter to refute the theological errors that the Colossians were tempted to embrace and Paul reminds them of simple truth. 
What I love about what Paul does in this letter is he doesn't hold up a mirror to the Colossians and says, look at all of the things that you're doing wrong and just stay right there. But instead, he reminds them of the truth that they already know. Oh, what would it be if we had people in our life that would just remind us of the truth that we already know? Oh, what would it be that somebody would look at you even in the midst of your mess and say, that's not the truth about who you are. You know what God, what God says about you. You know who you are in Christ Jesus. I believe if we would become a people that would speak truth, remember, we're trying to love big, live truth, right? And be a healthy family. As we do that, as we get in a posture and a position to speak truth over people, our lives birthed out, motivated from love, then we'll see lives changed. But what we tend to do is we look over there and say, oh, look what they've gotten into. They are messed up. And not only that, we don't go tell them. We don't go talk to them. We go grab some friends. Do you see what they're doing over there? Can you believe what they, look at that mess over there. Can you believe that? Go get so-and-so and let's tell them too. And all of a sudden though, there's somebody drowning in destruction and a mess. We got a whole group of people just having a great party talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. That's not love. That's not love. And so whatever the problem was precisely for the Colossians, Paul dwelt on the solution, a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Knowing the real Jesus helps us stay away from the counterfeit, no matter how it comes packaged. Knowing the real Jesus changes things. Knowing the real Jesus and who he is keeps us centered on the truth. And so these Colossians, they were susceptible to new teaching. They were, they were, they were engaging and in, in hearing new theology, new doctrine, new teaching that was making them question the supremacy of Christ. Now, I know that as I say that to you, you would say, well, I would never question the, super, the supremacy of Christ. But don't we often question the supremacy of Christ in our actions? Who's in control of your life? Who's in control of your life? I do not engage in theological arguments. I have, I have before, but I, do, I try my best not to engage in theological arguments. I think there's a difference in having a theological discussion for the, for the express purpose of learning and growing. And then there's having a theological argument for the sake of arguing because you've already made up your mind. Pastor Ronnie has a tagline at the end of his email that I read for the last 10 years, probably. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Comes right from scripture. I don't engage in theological arguments because the people that I remember in my mind that I've had these arguments with, 99% of the time it severs relationship, which seems to be completely opposite of the God who I say I believe in because God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of inclusion. He brings people, he draws people to himself. He doesn't exclude. The God that I serve includes. There is a place at the table for everyone. Would you say everyone? But what we tend to do, if we're honest with ourselves, at least I've been in this boat before, there are times I get in my headspace and I get myself all cleaned up man, I'm walking the righteous walk today. I've got, man, I've got my act together. And I go sit at that table just as proud and prideful as anything. And when I get there, instead of my eyes locking on Jesus Christ, 
My eyes locking on everybody else, comparing myself to you, saying, you're not clean enough. You shouldn't be here. You don't have your act together. You shouldn't be here. What did you do last night? Get away from the table. Who am I to take the seat of Christ at his table? The table has a seat for everyone. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means that even in my worst pit, even as as far as I go to this side of past the boundary, even to the point of rejecting God, rejecting God, he still loves me and he still has a plan for my life. If you wanna know, and I'm gonna tell you whether you do or not, my theology in a simple statement and what I believe our theology should be should boil down to this. God is love. God is love. And nothing that you have done in your life changes this fundamental truth about who God is. But the simplicity of this truth frustrates the mess out of us because we are broken and we try to justify ourselves by being good enough. We try to qualify ourselves by doing all of these right things and put ourselves in a place where we feel like we have some clout or way to judge others in their walk, in their journey with the Lord. And so what we do is we say, oh, God is love. Absolutely, but that's not enough. No, God, don't you know God is also sovereign? Don't you know that God is also holy and, and that God is also the great judge? And guess what? He is all of those things. But what we do so often is we put those three things in front of this thing so that we have a platform to cause division and exclusion in the kingdom of God. And so what we do is we go and we look at people and we say, you don't line up, you don't match up, you're not good enough, so you need to be excluded. God does not exclude people who he loves. My mess up, my failures, the things that I've done do not negate this truth has nothing to do with this truth. This truth in principle stands on its own. And it is the theology that we should walk upon because people are trying to come. I grew up independent, independent fundamental Baptist, and this is not me pooping on their parade, okay? But here's the deal, okay? We talked more about hell than we talked about God. And so in, the, in those moments, guess what? I, you better believe I learned about the sovereignty of God. I learned about God being holy. I learned that he is the great judge. And you know what they did? They scared the hell right out of me. But I'm gonna tell you what happened next. I started running as fast as I could because I was scared of this God. And it wasn't until an encounter and an experience with this real true God, it was an experience with this right here that I realized that God wants to have a relationship with me, that his love supersedes anything that I, that, that, that I have ever done. I don't need to fear God because fear is not God's motivator, love is. You wanna change people's life, tell them about the love of God. Don't tell them what they've done wrong. They already know what they're doing wrong. Show them the love of God. Lavish the love of God on their lives. Fear is not the motivating uh, entity, the motivating fuel that we have to usher people into the kingdom. That's not God's MO. He didn't do what he did so that he could scare us into his kingdom. He did what he did so he could love us into his kingdom. All of this work that we needed to do to be in right standing with God, Jesus Christ did. He paid the price. He did all of that. And so whenever we just reach out and say, Lord, save me, we are met in the kingdom with simplicity. God is love. God is love. 
And so we take that truth and we take it out to a dying world that has no idea what love really is. And so we get to smack them and say, no, you think you know what love is? Let me introduce you to real love because this God that I serve, he is love. Let me tell you something. If this is not good enough for you and and you want to expand on that, do not try to unpackage God. Try to unpackage love and see where it takes you. Because let me tell you, there have been volumes written on theologians. Theologians have written volumes and volumes and volumes of books. And I hate to tell you, maybe you don't know this, okay? This might be epiphany for somebody this morning. But of all the broken humans that have walked this planet and who will walk this planet, not one of us has nailed it on the head when it comes to understanding God. No matter what's been written in a book, we experience God. Nobody in this room is going to be able to convince me that God's not real. Let me tell you why. Because I had an experience with him an undeniable experience where his love smacked me in the face. There's nothing, I might be the last one in the room standing saying, God, I can't deny your existence because what I experienced was so real. Now I might get off kilter. I might start going over here and trying to form my theology around what Kevin wants as opposed to what God wants. But even in that, God's love is so rich and pure and wonderful that his grace is like an ocean. His grace is such an ocean. What would it look like if we loved people into the kingdom? This is what the Bible says about fear. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And for so long in my life, I thought God was up there with a big magnifying glass looking to zap me for everything I did wrong. But no, what he did is he put the zap on Jesus so that when he looked at me, he saw his son. He saw him as completed and perfected. And he says, come, come at my table. Come be a part of my table. You got a mess? That's okay. Bring your mess with you. You're dirty? Bring your dirty hands with you. I've got got a feast for you. Come, be a part of this. Come, be a part of this. Won't you come? Won't you come? God is love. It's the basis of what our theology should stand on. It's the bedrock of what our theology should be. Who is this God? He is love. And the more and more that you believe this, the more faith you will have to believe everything else he says. He is a healer. He is a deliverer. He is an overcomer. He is one that wants, he is for you and not against you. He will provide for you. All of these things that we were talking about. And I'll tell you, there are some dead orchids over here that are looking to bud flowers and all they have to do is be watered with the love of God. Guess who's, guess who's supposed to be watering them? You. You're supposed to be watering it. And here's the thing. Is your, is your experience with God not powerful enough to drive you to say, everybody's got to get in on this. Everybody's got to get in on this. Everyone's invited to the table. Worship team, you can come on back. Love is God's primary motivator. And so as Paul is writing to the Colossians and he's seeing that their theology has the potential to get off kilter, he is just reminding them of simple truths. Once we get off kilter, sometimes it's not easy to go back, but it's simple truth. You don't have to look for something else. God has done the work and you can start to step back into in between those boundary lives so that you can begin to live an abundant life, the life that God has planned for you. He says in his letter to the Colossians in this opening statement, he says, you have been qualified. 
You haven't been qualified because you were so good and you did all of this and you were just so righteous and ha, 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 and you're so clean. No, you have been qualified because of what my son says, God, what my son has done. And you have been qualified for what? For the inheritance, for the, for the inheritance. We're gonna be doing this song. And I'm saying this because I believe somebody in here might be struggling this morning with this whole concept of being, of being loved by God being in a place where you feel like you're worthy enough to be loved by this God. We're gonna do this song uh, in the next week or two called Jaira by, by Maverick City. And it, the first lyrics of the song just melt my heart every time. It says this, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. I wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing that I can do to let out. I'll be more loved than I am right now. It's on the other side of the boundary that we start chasing our trophies, chasing our, chasing our crowns, chasing our, look at me, look what I did. Have you ever had your kids, my parents, have your kids run up and they, they hand you a piece of paper and it's like scribble, scrabble all over the place and they are just so proud of what they gave you, right? And because you love them, you take that scribble, what should be looked at as trash, but you treasure it as gold and you put it right on the refrigerator. Let me tell you, your God, <laughs> your dad in heaven, all of that good stuff that you did, all that wonderful business that you're running, that ministry you're running, all that stuff, it's as if you ran up to him with that scribble scrabble. And he says, oh, look what little James did. <laughs> look at, look at, look at little Justin over there, Eden. Oh, come here. Oh, you used two colors this time. And we are just so proud of what we did. We're just like, yeah. And God just puts it on his refrigerator. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Because he loves us, he loves you. God is love. It is the foundation of what our theology is to be built on. One last quick story, Lucia, I talked about her. I talk about her often because she's our story giver in our house, right? Uh, I, was, um, I was at home and, uh, and if you're gonna pray with people, why don't you go ahead and start making your way down here, uh, elders. Um, I was at home and uh, Lucy, I was laying on the couch and we have one of those couches with the backs that's real tall. The back is real tall. And I'm laying on the couch and Lucy comes in and she throws all of her stuff on the floor the minute that she sees me. And what she should do is run and go around the couch, around the coffee table, and then jump onto daddy. But instead what she does is she makes a V-line for me, jumps over the back of the couch and into my arms. Why? because she doesn't fear. She knows that daddy loves her. Oh, that we would be willing to jump over our obstacles and into the arms of our father. Oh, that we would be willing to just jump straight into what he has. He doesn't require us to go around, but just go right through because he's waiting for you right there. Would you stand with me this morning? He is such a good, good God. Let your theology be transformed to a place where you understand that God is love, and he is a good God. He is a good, good God. I understand that there would be people in this place today who need to have a touch point with this father. And he's available today to talk to you. Why? Because he's love. Doesn't care what you did this week. Doesn't matter, you're here today. What matters is right now. And as we like to say, God has saved the best for right now. And so if you need to do some business with God, maybe you've got something that's been on your heart, on your mind for a while, or perhaps you're here and, and you just be honest with yourself, say, Kevin, listen, I've heard about God, but 
I've never really been introduced to God. You know, he's here to meet you this morning. This could be the day of salvation. This could be the day that changes your life. Or maybe there's some people that you know that need prayer for healing and all these things. Man, God is so big and he cares about all of our needs. He's a good, good God. You come this morning and be ministered to as we worship the Lord.